Final game in Dunedin, 14-8 Rays, the final tough way to go out. Jays swept by the Rays, who have now won 11 straight ball games. The Jays, meanwhile, the struggles with the bullpen continue a wee bit and a season-high six straight losses. Listen, this is an unbelievable time in the world of sports, and I'm happy to take you through it. Don't forget, North Division playoffs continue tonight. In fact, Ron McLean and the Hockey Central crew will take over at 6.30 Eastern with coverage of the Leafs and the Habs, which will be followed by the Jets and the Oilers. Game number four, we will have a full pregame for you right here on Tim and Friends, so please Stick with us. Just lay the flicker down. We got you covered. But let's get you caught up to date on what happened in Dunedin today. And let me tell you something. Wednesday of last week, the Jays were playing the Red Sox for first in the division. Five days later, they've lost five straight, fourth in the AL East, and turned to Trent Thornton in place of Ross Stripling. And Thornton, top of the first, two on, two out. G-Man Choi at the plate. Looked like a strike. Reese McGuire, Thornton think that the inning's over. So does Pete Walker, pitching coach. It's called the ball. Next up, Taylor Walls. Full count. Thornton, another borderline pitch. Doesn't get the call. And here goes Pete. About to give Junior Valentine. Kids, if you can read lips, please don't. At this juncture in time, do not read lips. After the struggles in extras yesterday, Pete Walker just taking it out. And it would hurt. They gave up. Five in the first, all unearned. Joey Wendell with the grand slam. He was the next batter. Thornton, one inning allowing five runs, none of them earned. And the Jays starting to claw back, 5-1. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., his 14th off of Ryan Yarbrough. Over the hitter's eye in dead center field, 461-foot bomb. Next up, Teoscar Hernandez. We go back-to-back, and all of a sudden, it's a two-run game. Now, the scheduled starter, Ross Stripling, came on in relief, air quotations. Seventh inning of work, and he was dealing. Struck out Mike Brousseau, and then Reese McGuire gets Brandon Lau. Double play, strike him out, throw him out. Nice tag there by Marcus Simeon. Stripling had seven innings, no runs allowed, and Vladdy playing hero. His 15th of the season ties him for the major league lead. Two-run shot. We need extras. Vladdy's jacked. So is Dunedin, at least the Jays fans in Dunedin. Top of the 10th after Tampa went ahead 7-5. Marcus Simeon's turn to knot it up. Is turned around and now it's blowing out to right. Early in the afternoon, it was blowing out to left. There's a fly ball to right. Margot is back at the track at the wall. Gone! Marcus Simeon with a two-run home run. And the wind had... Another response from the Jays. However, they couldn't end it there. And in the top of the 11th, the Rays did end it. Francisco Mejia... Pinch hitting takes Joel Piams the other way. Part of a seven-run frame. Yes, the touchdown put up by the Rays in the 11th. Jays could only muster one back. Make the final 14-8 in favor of the Rays. And joining me in studio to discuss uh, the Jays' loss, fresh off a full shift with Blue Jays Central, is Joe Siddle. Joe, <laughs> thanks as always for popping in here. Should I say it's a pleasure to be here? <laughs> I don't know if it is, though. I'm, I'm not, gonna... not sure after that Victoria one. Victoria <laughs> Day, long weekend. No, thought mean... you might have a smile on the way. No, a smile on the way out the door. <laughs> I love you, Tim, but it, <laughs> these games are getting hard to watch. Oh, that. So, I mean, listen, I like to say that all these games were tight, and they were tight. There wasn't. The lone blowout was this one, and it only happened in the 11th inning. So the Jays are playing tight, but this is, I mean, Buck Martinez at the end of yesterday's game said this was as tough as they come. This might have even been tougher because you kept getting the responses but couldn't get one over the plate to win it. I think what we're seeing is a summation of what we probably thought this team was going to be. Right. A good offensive club. 
And a club that's probably going to be short on the mound. And uh, you can talk about the rotation for starters, of course. But when you look at the bullpen and anytime they have to hand it over now to a lot of these guys, and we've seen the Castros, we saw Beasley, we're seeing Piamps. Some of these guys had very nice starts to the season. You get all excited about it because it's April. And you can't do that in a baseball season. You can't do that, especially when you're a reliever, because a reliever can have four, five, six good outings, seven outings. But over time, like anything, things level out. And I think those names that I just mentioned turn back into who they are. You know, Joel Piamps is a guy that's bounced around the waiver wire. Castro came off waivers, I believe, from the Tigers. So a lot of these, these names that we're referring to, yes, that bullpen was great in April, but you can't get too excited. And then you look over at the team on the other side in the Rays, and they just keep coming at you. Yeah. The offense, listen, the, the Tampa Bay Rays are playing as good a baseball as you can right now. That's why they've won so many in a row. They're, they're rolling, and that's, that's just tough to deal with. But to beat teams like that, and this is a, this is a battle-tested team. They were in the World Series last year. Right. And then you look at that schedule ahead for the Blue Jays. It does not get any easier. And I know the back half gets lighter when the Baltimores and Detroits come in town, but... It doesn't get any easier right now, and they, quite frankly, need relief. Quite literally need relief. The the arms just aren't getting it done right now. Well, you thought for a second. Like, I mean, listen, Charlie Montoyo Montoyo can't find the right decision. He decides to go with Trent Thornton, perhaps to get Ross Stripling out of facing the top of the order against this (laughs) Rays team. It worked out for Stripling, but backfires for Thornton. This whole opener concept is interesting, and I think today may have had a little more to do with getting Stripling out of that first inning. It's been so difficult on him, but the whole Trent Thornton thing today, a lot of people want to bark about umpires, and I just learned long ago, even as a player, you don't do it. You handle it as a player, but it's part of the game. As a pitcher, and I'm talking as a catcher now, behind the plate with your pitcher, you have to overcome it. You can't complain about calls. You make a great pitch, and you don't get the call, oh well. And, And Pete Walker had all the rights in the world. You have to do this. You have to get on the umpire. Yeah. Let them know how you feel yeah. because it might buy you the next call. But if you're Trent Thornton, you can't get ahead of walls one and two and then scatter a few pitches to get to three and two and then miss a borderline pitch. you got to bury that guy right away. And I think that was Thornton's fault. And that's when the inning unraveled. He walked a run in eventually, then gives up the grand slam. So you can look many different angles, but sometimes you have to look in the mirror. Was there some positivity in all this that Stripling did what he did, which was seven innings of scoreless ball? Oh, absolutely, yeah. because I think a lot of us were ready to write off Ross Stripling. Now, we did an eighth inning update, and I highlighted a couple of things. Now, there was a lot of talk. Ross mentioned it, too, that he was going to work on some tweaks in his delivery, some mechanical changes. We don't know what he did. I haven't heard any of that. He'll probably talk about it post game. Right. But I saw a couple of things. He moved over on the pitching rubber. That's something pitchers will do. It gives them a little bit of a different angle to the plate. In his previous start against the Red Sox, he was on the first base side of the rubber. Today, he was more in the middle. The other key thing was his glove. When you see his glove, when he comes up with the leg kick, before it was coming up high to his face. Today, I saw it just coming, sticking to his waist. The third thing was the leg itself. The leg kick was more pronounced earlier. Today, it was tighter, it was tucked. He was more compact in his delivery. All of those things are things that pitchers can lean to or try to get back in their delivery so they're on time. Pitchers often, talk, like hitters, talk about rhythm and timing in their delivery. It helps you get to that release point on time. Whatever those things were, those are just things I saw today. That I don't know exactly what he did, <laughs> right. but I'm sure some of those things had a lot to do with how he tweaked his delivery and the results speak for themselves. Uh, seven innings of two-hit ball, seven Ks, just two walks for Stripling, who had basically struggled in every one of his outings this season. Um, let's talk about the offense for a bit, because I know at the start of the season, people were wondering where it was. I don't think they're wondering where it is right now. No, this is a deep lineup, and it's amazing to think they're doing this without George Springer. Because yeah. when George Springer comes back, it just lengthens. And when you talk about lengthening a lineup and how deep a lineup gets, again, as a catcher calling the game, the, the, the names just keep popping up to the plate one after another and after another. And it doesn't get easier. And remember, when Springer gets back, you're going to have like guys like Richie, maybe Simeon will be batting like six. Like that's where it really stretches out. And, you know, the things Vladdy is, the things he's doing right now, it's remarkable. And as viewer Blue Jays fans, sit back and enjoy because. I think we're going to be talking about this guy for many, many years. He does things in the batter's box. You know, even when he was scuffling last year and the year before at times, he does things other people can't do, and he's cleaned up his body. That's a great thing. I think physically he had to because now he's able to get into stronger positions, more athletic positions to do the damage he does. But he does so many things 
so well. He moves the body is one thing, but the way he his pitch selection, the way he can lay off pitches, and you'll see that those are the things that separate him from like a Bo Bichette. Mm-hmm. He's just so much more disciplined. The way he looks for certain pitches, and that home run right there, he had fouled a fastball off earlier in the count away, and then you could just see, and Tabby talked about it on the broadcast, you could just see he knew that Thompson would be coming back with some sliders, and he sat on them. That's really advanced stuff that you usually are talking about a, a veteran major leaguer that does that stuff, and he's doing it at his age. It really is remarkable and fun to watch. I was uh, going to look at my bets because I have a bet on uh, Shohei Otani to win uh, the MVP <laughs> this year. Uh, Joe, I got it at plus uh, plus 2,500, which is 25 to 1. How much did you put on Vladdy? Uh, I did not put much on Vladdy at all. And if you were to go to Vegas right now, would he probably not be number two on the list for? And I I'm just, so. I'm no handicapper here, but I'm looking at the numbers. He is now leading the major leagues in WAR. You would have to think that Vladdy's got, Vladdy's got to be among the betting favorites. He's certainly for in the MVP. Hunt. Absolutely, yeah, triple crown maybe too. It's unbelievable what he's doing. <laughs> um, all right, so the Jays now had the Yankee Stadium, and as if facing the Rays, who were hot enough coming in seven in a row, now eleven in a row. Uh, as they go 7-11 on the Jays, the Bombers have won six in a row. Is it the pitching that has been the difference for this rise in the New York Yankees? And dare I say, a starting rotation that had a lot of question marks coming into the season? Question marks for sure, and I thought that was probably going to be the one thing that held the Yankees back. And, you know, when you take a flyer on a Corey Kluber after injury, you just never know how that's going to pan out. Jamison Tyone, the scary thing is they might get Luis Severino back later maybe in june or july uh even the red sox if you look at them maybe getting chris sale back but with the yankees they didn't hit early on and you knew they were going to hit this is a team that that's that's their their mark as well but you get a kluber to start turning it off he's doing that that's going to be pretty big for them and if you're the blue jays pitching pitching and pitching i mean every conversation we have like this it's going to start with starting pitching, and you can run the gamut of topics. You can talk about bullpens and defense and base running, and, and it ends up with starting pitching. And that's where the Blue Jays are falling short right now. But we knew this going in. They acquired two guys in Robbie Ray by signing them back and acquiring Mats. Mm-hmm. Behind Ryu, so you've got three. But really after that, and who knows about Steven Mats? We've seen hot and cold from him. I, I, everyone hoped or wish they would have grabbed another established type veteran. Now you're counting on some kids, whether it's a Pearson or Minot or whatever the case may be. You wait around to the trade deadline. This is the AL East. And now that Boston and New York are, well, Boston's been good all season, but New York's heating up, Tampa is Tampa. What if you're 10 games under 500 at the trade deadline? Then yeah. it doesn't do anything. I think it had to be done in the off season. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. And obviously, the hype train is already rolling. You mentioned Alec Manoa. And now, lo and behold, the Jays have a little spot in the rotation, perhaps where a starter would go. Would you throw Alec Manoa into Yankee Stadium against the Bronx Bombers, as many on Twitter and many at home want? No, no, and no. And Absolutely not. If you're counting on Alec Manoa to save your season, then you've mismanaged your roster here. There's just no way that you can count on a kid. He's been wonderful. We saw in spring training. We're seeing it now. But, Tim, if I could explain to you the difference between hitters in AAA and hitters in the major leagues, it's not one level. A to AA is one level. AA to AAA is one level. AAA to the major leagues, it's about six levels. It's another world. The guys he's facing in AAA right now, aren't even close to what the Blue Jays face today in the Tampa Bay Rays. And they, of course, they're really hot, but that's not one of the top offenses in baseball even. Right. Think of when Nate Pearson came back and made that start. He's facing the Houston Astros. So those numbers you see in AAA, throw them out the window. They're skewed. If he's pitching well, I give all the credit to these young men doing pitching well in AAA, but don't come up and expect him to do it at the big league level. And if they were to call Manoa up, sure, he could have a good game at Yankee Stadium, but you're asking an awful lot. It's right. a world apart. That was Chicago. what I was going to follow with was there's a bunch of people saying, well, why not? If you need an arm, he's an arm. Throw him out there. And is it psychology? Is it confidence? Like, What makes you say no so quickly besides the difference between 
what you're facing in the minor leagues and what you're facing in the major leagues, which I understand and agree with. So I think it's hard because I haven't watched Alec Manoa pitch. If I watched him with my eyes, which I'm sure the Blue Jays are doing very closely, right. you look at the stuff. And you can tell with a pitcher more than a position player because the pitcher's got the ball in his hand. You can see what the fastball's doing. You can see what the slider's doing. Now, if you think that's going to translate against major league hitters and you feel good about it, then you, you go for it. And maybe that's what the Blue Jays will do. The reason I said no, no, and no is because it's just so fast, and I just think you need so much more experience at the minor league level. We are rushing kids to the big leagues now. It's amazing how fast they're coming. Yeah. I was a big fan, and I still am, of player development, each level. And as a starting pitcher, you pitch at the high level for a number of starts. could be 6, 8, 10, and if you dominate, you go to double-A because at double-A, you're facing the next caliber hitter, the guys that can handle off-speed pitches. And if you do well for a handful plus starts there, then you go to triple-A. Now you're facing some hitters that maybe have been to the big leagues, some experienced hitters and if you do that for six eight ten starts then maybe you're ready for that next challenge he's barely pitched in the minor leagues right so to think he's going to come up let alone against the yankees let alone in yankee stadium <laughs> it's just it's a lot to ask it, it is a lot to ask and there will be plenty of people asking that very thing on twitter as we desperation this. now right it, but that's I, I, that i get and 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 that's what you said to start this off that makes the most sense is when you're in a spot where you got to turn to alec manoa at yankee stadium to give yourself some sort of of good hope that's where you this put is, yourself in a this bad is spot. not the bed you wanted to make so let me ask you something because i know uh you had a few conversations with jamie campbell yesterday about charlie montoyo and his handling of the bullpen what did you think today and of the series because there's a lot of people right now chatting about charlie montoyo's uh, use of the bullpen well i disagreed 100 percent with what went on yesterday tyler chatwood was terrible yeah he'd be the first to admit it as i said but in that situation, on that day, I think Tyler Chatwood was your closer. And he was your best option. And he was really bad, but he didn't lose the game yet. He was still one pitch away. We've seen guys have terrible innings. And then they make a pitch, and you win the ball game. He didn't get that opportunity. That's the part I didn't get. If he had walked another guy to tie the game, now you've blown the save. Now i got to go on to somebody else. But I would have had a righty warming up in the bullpen because, and Charlie said it as much today, was that he had... Bergen warming up, looking ahead in case it came to Meadows, because Meadows is a left-handed hitter that doesn't hit lefties very well. But I don't really care that he doesn't hit lefties very well. I want a pitcher that gets lefties out. Romano could have done it. We never did hear his name. If he wasn't available, I don't know. But any one of those guys down there, I'll take my chances against a Bergen who has no experience at that level. When you bring Bergen into the position he came into last uh, yesterday, yeah. there was no room for error. The bases were loaded. That's a lot to ask. Yeah. Today, my biggest question was, where's Jordan Romano? You want more? I, I want more. Now, yeah. I, I understand he's had some elbow issue earlier this year. I'm guessing that's going to be the answer. We don't know those answers. But my goodness, you go throw 12 pitches and strike out the side, you can't come out and give me a few more outs. And that can be the difference in a ball game. They could have won a ball game. They, it goes either way. You know what? The, the best decision by a manager is the one that works. Right. And unfortunately, you've got to answer questions. But if, I have, if I'm a manager and I have to answer questions after the game, I, the answer I'm going to give you is I lost with my best. Right. And I don't think that happened either day. All right, Joe Siddle in studio again. Ron McLean almost uh, an hour away from joining the Hockey Central crew ahead of the Leafs and Habs. So just lay the flicker down. We've got you covered here. <laughs> uh, before I let you go, and, I, and I'm going to get you at the door because this is actually you got to work tomorrow again. So. <laughs> but let me, let me th throw this at you. It's done and done eaten now. They're going to Buffalo. Is that a big difference for this ball team? And I know that I watch, listen, in this role, I've got to watch every sport. And I watched the Toronto Raptors limp through their season, and it gave me an appreciation for what the Jays did last year. This is a real crucial time for this team, and I wonder if we're not walking down the same road. Well, let's preface it by saying the entire world has been through a lot of adversity yeah. over the last year and a half. The fact Agreed. that they got baseball played in Dunedin, I thought the Blue Jays did a fantastic job getting the field ready and all of the extracurriculars that they got done. Goes without saying. Yeah. That was fantastic. I'm sure the players want to get the heck out of there. And if you're a hitter, you shouldn't want to get out of there. If you're a pitcher, you couldn't get out of town soon enough. But, you know, Charlie said today about how the players have been great. They haven't complained. Well, we had a pretty good clip from Marcus Simeon last week that basically said, this is a minor league ballpark, and it's a joke. And it was. The wind blowing out. It didn't play very well. But that's very unfortunate. Buffalo will be better. It's still a minor league ballpark, but it's almost a mini major league ballpark. 
and in fairness to the the players and the team, and we heard more and more in this last week about all of the fans down there and all of the fans. A lot of them were of opposing teams because Phillies, their facilities are all down Tampa, there. Yeah, Yankees. So it's yeah, very unfortunate. But as I said, the world is unfortunate right now. Buffalo will be better, and hopefully, 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 Toronto will be the best if they can get there. Uh, we were very fortunate today that you were able to jump in here. <laughs> I know Jamie Campbell just meandered off into the wild blue. He's got a dinner. Yeah, he's got dinner. Today. He's got dinner. Yeah, nice. Must, Good yeah. for him. Yeah. Good. Yeah, uh, Joe Siddle, everybody, appreciate it. Time for a break. Plenty of hockey on the way. Chris Cuthbert from Montreal ahead of calling Game 3 between the Leafs and the Canadians. Eric Angles, Sean Reynolds from the rinks as well, plus Cassie Campbell-Pascal from Calgary. We'll tee up the night, look back at that Jets comeback. Unbelievable last night in Winnipeg, and we'll do it all next right here on Tim and Friends. Thanks for coming along. moment of a legendary career. Phil defeats Father Time. You never know how much skill is going to be on display. Just look at this from TJ Oshie. Off the glass and right where he wanted it to go. That's a perfect play. Wow. Jack Wilson and the Jets having some fun. <laughs> If you thought the Jays game was good, this could be just simply the most wonderful time of the year. Leafs Habs coming up, followed by Jets and Oilers. Please keep your seats in the upright position and your tray tables stowed away. This is going to be fun. Just sit back, relax, and let's enjoy it together. I feel like I'm overdose, o- overdosing on sports in English, and it feels really good, though I'm not sure my family feels the same way. If you're a sports fan, good luck trying to get some work done around the house this long weekend. My God, if you are that real sports fan, the kind of folks that don't want to miss anything, good luck. I mean, just look at today. The Jays already lost in what was a crazy game against the Rays. Extra innings again. Rays complete the four-game sweep tonight. Five more in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Both North Division Series going back-to-back. Two more in the NBA playoffs. The WNBA, the Secret Dream Gap Tour on SN now, right now. And oh yeah, the World Championships of Hockey, among others. And then, and then, and then... We had the weekend. From Phil to it was 4-1. That weekend was more ridiculous than grown-ass men doing the Macarena. And that's just scratching the surface. I might remember this weekend for the rest of my life. Does it not feel like this could be forever remembered as the week the crowds returned? At least in the U.S.? And that doesn't even include what happened in front of no fans in Winnipeg last night. Man, imagine what that would have felt like with one of the craziest fan bases in all of sports. They might have torn down the Bell MTS place last night. I haven't seen anything that crazy since Earmuff Leaf fans. That's right, Boston, May 13th, 2013. And for the Toronto Maple Leafs, it signaled the end of that team as we knew it. Now, that was a game seven. 
they did not have a chance to right the ship. The Oilers do, but they are going to need a Sherpa or 10 to get up this mountain, down three games to none. Only four NHL teams in history have ever done it. Though I will say this, the last one, the 2014 Los Angeles Kings to come back from 3-0 down also won the cup. So there, there's that, Edmonton. Though I will say this, Mark Spector on Sportsnet.ca not only called it a choke job, but he said the Oilers simply gave it all away with a lack of will, courage, and gamesmanship. My dad always told me it's not what happens, it's how you respond to it. That's the most important thing. We're about to see if the Edmonton Oilers have a response for that one. Listen. We'll have plenty more on the Oilers and Jets, as well as the Leafs and Habs. Plenty of pregame sound from both Montreal and and Toronto on its way. Some moves in Montreal. Cole Caulfield draws into the lineup after missing the morning skate. Nick Foligno will be in the Leafs lineup. So that is the preliminary news from Montreal between the Leafs and the Habs. Here to sort through last night and tonight is our friend Cassie Campbell-Pascal. Cassie, thank you very much for doing this. Really appreciate the time. No problem, Tim, but I don't know how you sort through anything with what happened last night. I mean, just a a crazy game between Winnipeg and Edmonton. A lot of fun to be part of it. And then tonight to be able to be part of Montreal, Toronto, too, the doubleheader. But last night was just electric and just hard to really sort through. You know, everything just seemed to happen so quickly in that one. I I love having a few moments to let it marinate. And when you're on Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL and Sports Night, you don't have those moments. It's just... You come up right after the game and you get right into what you saw, having let it marinate for a little while. Like, what's your reaction today? And is it good or bad for the Oilers that they're going again tonight? You know, in one sense, I think it's good because I think mentally you can just park it quickly, right? You you try to find a way to sleep last night. Uh, You're probably going to sleep in a little bit, do your video session, probably have a nap today. So today goes by really quickly and you don't necessarily have the time to think about it. But at the same time, you want to kind of assess it. You want to kind of go through it as a team and maybe have a chance to kind of talk it over. What went wrong? What what can we do better next time? All those types of things. And, you know, that that was one thing I would have been curious to be able to talk to Dave Tippett today is how did he respond as a coach to this? You know, did he... Just throw out this video. Uh, you know, you look at that last face-off on the Nikolai Ehlers goal, and you know what could have been done differently there. There's a few things, and you know, there's just been a. I think Edmonton has to learn from this that every single play matters in the playoffs. Every single shift, every single thing you do. But I think for them just to park it, and you know, let's face it, Tim, Winnipeg's a really good team, and yeah. you know we. We maybe kind of took them for granted a little bit because of Connor McDavid and because of Leon Dreisaitl and how good everything went for Edmonton this year. But there was a point during this regular season where Winnipeg was, you know, they were pushing for first place in that North Division. And then everything kind of fell apart near the end, which maybe was exactly what they needed to play as well as they have been in the playoffs. But they're a good team. You know, this is a good series between two good teams. It's been close, you know, two overtime games. Uh, a 2-1 game essentially in that first one, you know, with the two empty netters. So despite the fact that the Oilers are down 3 nothing, this has really been a close series and a fun one to be a part of. Cassie, I know this is easier for folks like me who have never played at a high level to say things like this. But let's be honest, uh, the fans, almost every one of them have never played at a high level. And Mark Spector called this a choke job on sportsnet.ca. Do you agree with that? Do you take umbrage with it? Because it's interesting to me in these spots where we sit from the outside looking in and say, man, they just choked. You know, I'm not going to say anything negative about Mark Spector, that's for sure. He covers the Oilers all year long, and he does such a great job. You know, in two years' time, or even next year in playoffs, I I think that's a more valid statement. And not that it's not valid after last night. Don't get me wrong, uh, Mr. Spector. But I I just think that this is still a team where your stars are still young, and you're still not quite in that bubble yet to me. I I don't think there's enough, enough depth there yet. You know, next year, they might have a little bit more money to play with, and they're going to sign some guys. You know, Kevin Bieksa mentioned they need a right-handed centerman. You know, there, there's still some tweaks with this group that I think still need to be done. Uh, so I, I think next year or the year after, that's a really, really, really valid statement. Um, but, boy, 
it was tough to watch. It really oh. was tough to yeah. watch because they had the complete game in control. And it wasn't just, you know, everyone's talking about Josh Archibald. And yes, that was a bad penalty to take. But it was your stars, too. You know, Dave Tippett talked about it. He had the option to call a timeout, but he waited. You know, he waited for, he knew the commercial break was coming. So he puts his big guys out and he's like, all right, well, they're in the D zone. They can get it done for us. And they didn't. So, you know, this was a group thing. And, you know, I know Josh Archibald's kind of taking it on the chin. And yes, that was a bad penalty. But the entire group has to be responsible, has to stand up and be accountable. And that's part about learning a lesson. You know what, being a former athlete, you never say you choked. You never would say that in the dressing room. You never would feel that way. You embrace the challenge. You embrace the opportunity to learn. You embrace how do I get better from this. You, you take some accountability as a leader in that room. And that's how you have to move forward. And, you know, we kind of don't use that language within the dressing room because it has such a negative connotation to it. Um, but, man, it was, it was, it was a, a tough one to watch if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan. And for those who don't know, Archibald has been suspended for one game, so he will not play tonight in uh, game number four in Winnipeg. All right, let's move over to the Leafs and Habs because we don't have a ton of time here. There were some that thought that Saturday night was a statement game from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Did you see that, or are we just tied at one? Well, I think you're just tied at one, but I thought it was a statement game for Austin Matthews. You know, I think coming out and playing as well as he did, and we have a little piece on it tonight, not only offensively what he was able to do as far as production, but I think defensively. And But listen, each game is its own new thing. You know, it's like, okay, that game's over. Learn from it. Move forward. What do we need to do better? And even the Leafs are thinking that way as well. Like, how do we continue to get better here in this series despite they won the last game? But that's the way the playoffs is. I think it's it's each game you take its own little momentum, you take its own little identity, and and then you just put it to bed. Like this is going to be a whole new thing. Anything could happen again. And you know, like we've seen, you know, the the disappointing scene of of seeing John Tavares in Game One, and you know, then the heroics of the Leafs in in Game Number Two, guys like Austin Matthews and Sandine. I mean, the ups and downs of the playoffs. But each game to me is its own identity. Less than an hour away from Ron McLean and Hockey Central taking over with the Leafs and Habs coverage ahead of the double dip that will include both North Division playoffs. Cassie Campbell-Pascal joining me here. Uh, I thought Dominic Ducharme was trying a little gamesmanship saying we'll have to wait for game number three to find out who's in, who's out. But we now know that Cole Caulfield's in and it seems like it makes sense. Start with the experience, but they haven't scored a heck of a lot of goals in these two games. You know, it's interesting. I think that's always a coach's fear, right? You're going to put in an inexperienced young guy and there's bound to be key mistakes that happen. But this guy's unbelievable. And, you know, he might make mistakes tonight, but I think what he brings is energy. He brings speed. He brings that sort of shot first mentality. And that's something that I think Montreal's really struggled with in this series, in particular in game number two. And you look at every single level he's played at, whether it's the U.S. national development team, whether it's at Wisconsin, you know, he's already got two game-winning goals in his first 10 NHL games. I mean, he just seems to be a gamer and plays better with the bigger stages. And, you know, I said to my husband, we were watching that game the other night here at home, and I said they got to put Cole Caulfield in. They look slow. They're, they're not getting enough shots on net, and that's exactly what he brings. But from Dominic Ducharme's point of view, you, you, you kind of feel as a coach that that inexperience is going to cost us. You know, it's going to give, there's going to be big mistakes. And so there's always that hesitant, hesitancy from coaches to put these guys in because of that one mistake that they could make just because of their inexperience. But I think he's going to be valuable for Montreal tonight. Uh, Cassie rocking the PWHPA jersey or hoodie, actually. And we are having highlights. Hoodie. Highlights, top of the clock. Uh, Cassie, appreciate you doing this. Uh, and uh, enjoy again tonight. I don't know if we'll get what we got last night, but man, was it a lot of fun to watch as a neutral on the outside looking in. Uh, enjoy it tonight. All right. Cheers, Tim. Thanks for having me. Be well. There is Cassie Campbell Pascal. And by the way, I haven't mentioned Jack Campbell's name a lot, obviously, because. Carey Price plays really well in game number one. Connor Hellebuck has been stealing the show. They finally saw Connor Hellebuck last night, but can't get the win. Campbell, 153 goals against and a 943 save percentage through two games for the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's why Cole Caulfield is in. When we come back, we'll get into the rings. Eric Engel standing by in Montreal ahead of game three between the Leafs and the Canadians. Sean Reynolds standing by in Winnipeg as the Jets amazingly try and finish off a sweep of the Oilers. We will discuss it all next right here on Tim and Friends.
have the puck, and here they come. Stastny, a shot, and they score! Paul Stastny! And the Winnipeg Jets take a commanding 2-0 series lead. Leafs trying to put Montreal on its heels. Here's the chance. Scores! Jason Spezza. Hall shooting rebound. Scores! Austin Matthews catches the rebound. Matthews back for Marner. And it's Sandin scores! It is a power play goal and the first playoff goal for Rasmus Sandin. Here's Nylander scores! It's two power play goals tonight. It's been 19,744 days since the last time the Maple Leafs beat the Canadians in the Stanley Cup playoff. Larson, a shot for the point, and they score again! A three-goal lead now in the third period for the Oilers. One-timer, blocked by Nurse, it's still loose out there. They're walking away, and they score! Shifley back to Morrissey, the shot, Smith the save, rebound, Wheeler scores! Can we have a one-goal game? Morrissey takes a look, shoots, scores! Tie game! Here's a shot, and they score! A day later, it's still shocking. Welcome back. What a weekend. We continue our countdown to the North Division doubleheader tonight on Sportsnet. Just an hour away from puck drop, or just over an hour away from puck drop between Leafs and Canadians, game number three in Montreal. Now, Nick Foligno didn't participate in Leafs morning skate, but he will play tonight. Maintenance day. So the Leafs, same lineup as they had in game two Saturday night with Jack Campbell once again in goal. But changes afoot for the Canadians. With more on that, let's send it to Eric Engels in Montreal. Eric, what's going on? Well, first I'll have you know that Deanne just started playing as soon as we got here. <laughs> she but knows. yes, Cole Caulfield is drawing in. Much anticipated debut in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And Tyler Toffoli recently wrote in the Players' Tribune, he's got the it factor. John Merrill this morning was talking about the fact that this is a guy who's confident, not cocky, but a guy who believes he can have an impact. And Caulfield said he feels that confidence emanating from his teammates. They trust him. He trusts them. Now let's see what he can do. So three goals in two games, is that enough to get Caulfield into the lineup? It's enough to get him into the lineup, and potentially he creates some space for guys like Gallagher and Toffoli, who are supposed to carry the mail when it comes to scoring goals for this team. One more player for the Maple Leafs to pay attention to. It will certainly help. Uh, Eric Engels powering through the tests in Montreal as they get set for game time. Leafs and Habs, and what I feel bad speaking over the anthem, but we got a job to do here. So for those who don't know, uh, the North trying to go back-to-back to catch up with the other series. Um, but does the back-to-back change anything for the Habs specifically? I don't know if it changes anything, but it certainly puts the emphasis on them winning this first game because obviously they haven't been great in back-to-back situations down the stretch. We talked a lot about their schedule, how taxing it was. We talked about the bumps and bruises and the injuries. They had eight days off between the playoffs starting, but obviously that doesn't heal everything. And they have to be able to manage this situation by not putting that pressure on themselves because if they go down in this game, it puts all the pressure on them tomorrow and going back to Toronto. This isn't the actual real anthem. This is just a practice anthem for when they roll the real anthem. Otherwise, I would be standing at attention, and Eric Angles, of course, would have. But they could stop it at any time, and that's why we continued on. Uh, Angles, whenever we go to you before a game, it seems to be uh, a little bit of a trip. From Deambibo to the anthem, we appreciate you doing this with us. Got to be able to push through adversity. It's the playoffs. Yes, correct. Oh. He was better than me. Thanks, Angles. There is Eric Angles in Montreal. And again, it doesn't feel natural. I understand it. Please don't rip us. It was a practice. They could have ended at any time. I've been there numerous times where that exact thing happens. They start an anthem just to hear the audio, and then they turn it off. And if he had stopped, 
it would look kind of silly. Remarkably, the Oilers are on the brink of elimination heading into game four in Winnipeg tonight. That doesn't mean people won't be mad at us on Twitter. We'll just power through. After dominating the Jets in the regular season, the Oilers now find themselves in the dreaded 0-3 hole, having to find a response on a back-to-back after blowing that 4-1 third-period lead last night and losing in overtime. With more ahead of game number four in Winnipeg, let's send it to Sean Reddle. Sean, take it away. Tim, I just got to say right off the start, I know you, we've worked together in the past, so I know you're a good guy, but I just think it shows how good of a guy you are. You you can feel how guilty you felt talking <laughs> through the anthem yeah, in I that did. last segment did, there. Yeah. It's just bleeding out of you, absolutely. Uh, just cute. That was cute. I thought that was really cute. Okay, That's what let's I aim get for back on to this hockey. show, cute. We're talking about the oil... <laughs> cuteness exactly yeah. and you're pulling it off my friend um if we go back to that regular season the Edmonton Oilers you know they won six straight games against uh, these Winnipeg Jets heading into the playoffs and I think one of the things that kind of bamboozled us was that it didn't really seem on paper like it should work out that way we know that the Edmonton Oilers are a top heavy team where the Jets have the advantage though comes in with their depth up and down their lineup well it seems like that's woken up here in the playoffs and it's coming from you know unexpected sources. You get goals from the likes of Tucker Pullman. Dominic Toninato scores a game winner. Game three, he comes out of the lineup after scoring a game winner in this series, and he's replaced by Nick Ehlers, who has two goals, and he himself gets a game winner in that game. Paul Stastny does the same thing. Uh, Perot, a fourth-line player, sparks that comeback with the power play goal uh, at around the eight-minute mark to get everything kind of back in the Jets' favor, or at least going in their favor. Nate Thompson had two points in his first game. Up and down this lineup, we're seeing those contributions. What you're seeing essentially is that old saying, every one of these Winnipeg Jets players is pulling on the rope, and I'm not sure you can say that same thing about the Edmonton Oilers, especially a play and I, you know, you gotta harp on it. That Josh Archibald play, it was selfish, it was unnecessary, it didn't need to happen, it opened the door, and I can only imagine for a couple of players like Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, what they pulled off, the heroics that they pulled off to try and win that game for their team, to have that kind of go down the drain with started by a bad play like that, you just got to wonder where the psyche of that Oilers team will be heading into this game. The beauty is we're about to find out, Mr. Reynolds, and uh, less than 24 hours later. Neither goalie has gone back-to-back this year. Uh, it didn't seem like either coach was going to go away from Mike Smith or Connor Hellebuck. Does it benefit, uh, and we've only got about 30 seconds left, does it benefit either team? Sure. You know, goaltending-wise, I mean, Connor Hellebuck is a battler, but so is Mike Smith. I don't think the goalies have necessarily been the story of this series. I think the Jets' defense so far has been that, and then them showing up. The one thing I do know is Connor McDavid played against the Jets in a back-to-back earlier this year, and the next night, everyone on the ice looked tired except for Connor McDavid. He's got an unbelievable engine. I think it's what kind of sets him apart from past superstars. He just does not seem to tire. I'm wondering if he's going to be able to pull that off here tonight, Although you just got to wonder where, as I said before, the mental uh, framework of the Edmonton Oilers will be coming into this game. Uh, The Oilers are going to need every single bit of that. Sean Reynolds in Vancouver uh, and Winnipeg, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. There is Sean Reynolds. Uh, Half an hour to go here on Tim and Friends. Jam-packed show. We're moving quickly here. Before we hand it off to Ron McLean, Hockey Central, ahead of the Canadian doubleheader, we'll hear from all four teams next. Plus, get back in the rink. In Montreal with Chris Cuthbert. Chris Cuthbert next. And now, time for real sports talk with Tim McCallum and friends of the show. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs, back here on a holiday Monday edition of Tim and Friends. Hope you're enjoying your May 2-4 wherever you are in this fine country. Another half an hour here with you before Hockey Central takes over on Sportsnet. Five games in the Stanley Cup playoffs tonight, including, of course, the Canadian doubleheader. So put the remote down and hang out with us. We have got you covered for a while, kids. Leafs and Habs up first. Series tied. One game apiece, and the winner of Game 3 in this scenario historically has gone on to win the series 68% of the time. Almost low when you think about it. As mentioned earlier, Cole Caulfield will make his series and playoff debut for the Habs. Here's Caulfield ahead of his big night. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of excitement. Um, 
obviously it's a playoff game. We need to bring the energy and um, I was put in here to help the team win and, and do the things that I can to, to, you know, increase our chances. So um, I'm obviously excited. Um, it's going to be a pretty special night. Sheldon, uh, Cole Caulfield coming into the game for them and they have last line change. How might that change the dynamic tonight? It doesn't change anything for us. Okay. The nerves a little calmer in Leafs land after a dominant game to win on Saturday night. And that's something to say to be said about Toronto Maple Leaf fans. Here's Joe Thornton and then Zach Hyman on how they bounced back from a really tough game one in a lot of ways. It was a huge step last game for us. Uh, we're trying to make another big one tonight. Um, but yeah, losing John, you know, definitely hurt that first game. But uh, I think we responded well, and, and we got to respond again tonight. It was really important, um, really important win for us, obviously. And then also them scoring the first goal and us having, having to battle back from that. Um, you know, I think that obviously losing John is is a huge loss to our team, and he means a lot uh, on the ice and, and in, in the room. So, um, you know, it's good to get that one from. All right, as mentioned, more Leafs Habs. Chris Cuthbert coming up from the Bell Center in just a minute. The Oilers, a little time to lick their wounds as they try to keep their season alive tonight in Winnipeg. That's right, they go back-to-back, if you don't know. After a late collapse, saw them blow a 4-1 lead and lose game three in overtime. That Jets comeback started when Josh Archibald took a penalty on the Jets' Logan Stanley. A little low bridge, and because of it, Archibald will miss tonight's game. He has been suspended One game for clipping on that play. No lineup changes for the Jets, who try to finish off the sweep. The Oilers doing some soul-searching after what Mark Spector called an epic choke. Here's Coach Dave Tippett. You grieve when somebody passes away. We lost a hockey game, so we're not not grieving on anybody. We're we're pissed off that we lost, and we got to get back on the horse and get going here. So you... If you feel sorry for yourself or you're going to wallow around for a few days, then we're, then we're going to be in trouble. If we get back on the horse and get out there and get to work and do some of the same things that we did last night well, take some of those the situations where we kind of beat ourselves, then, uh, then we're, we'll be fine. We'll have a chance to win. All right, that is the NHL story for now. The Canadian leg of the Secret Gap Tour Dream Gap Tour underway in Calgary, and you can watch daily action on Sportsnet now all week long, while games Friday through Sunday, including the championship final, can be seen on Sportsnet nationally. Today's game, ironically enough, Toronto and Montreal. We begin in the first period, Toronto two-on-one. Madison Field with the chance on the doorstep, but Anne-Marie Desbiens was très bien. In fact, she was très bien for most of the first period. Another sprawling save here to keep it knotted at nil. However, Toronto just kept coming. Lauren Gable, nice move behind the net. Centers to Ella Shelton. Shelton, one time bulging the twine. Off of the redirect, is able to squeeze it through. So Toronto took a 1-0 lead. Now 1-1 in the second period of play again. That is available to all Sportsnet viewers on Sportsnet now. Got it, Gooden, since you understood. Uh, Let's get back into the arena. I love getting into the arenas on game day, no matter how many people are in the stands. And the man who was calling that game between the Leafs and the Habs tonight was kind enough to join us on a game day. Chris Cuthbert joins us from the Bell Center. Thanks a lot for doing this, Chris. Appreciate it. Good to be with you, Tim. It is neat to walk into this building at any time. And just uh, just for you then, I can tell you that because it's the playoffs, even with no fans here, the Canadians put up playoff bunting, which I think just tells you a little bit about the attention to detail of the organization. I will say this. There is no team that does pomp, circumstance, and ceremony like the, like the Montreal Canadiens. It's unbelievable. They are great at it for sure. Their uh, their so ceremonies are always special, and uh, and again, this this rink is is so remarkable when there are people in it. And uh, if there is a game six, there will be yes. at least twenty five hundred there, and that's uh, at least something to look forward to. Did it feel? I know a lot of Leaf fans are hoping it was this, but it feel like a little bit of a sea change on Saturday night in the way the Leafs dominated that game. 
it, it, it became that. Uh, I think we wondered how they'd respond. And then, yes, Barry Kotkaniemi scores the first goal of the game. And, uh, and there just seemed to be that sense that maybe this uh, was going to be a continuing trend. But the Leafs responded quickly on the goal by Jason Spezza and really took it over in the second period. So uh, they get back on even terms. But uh, now it's best of five. I know he didn't get a ton of love, but I thought that Nick Foligno played really well in a tough spot. Uh, he got a maintenance day today. Does it seem like he's just uh, dealing with some nagging injuries, or is there more to this? Yeah, we just actually watched some video of him going to the bench in Game 2, and he did seem uncomfortable at uh, a number of times during the game. Not uncomfortable when he was taking face-offs. Uh, he wanted the job uh, to be in the middle if John Tavares was unable to play, and he was 13-3 and in the face-off circle. So a guy that's reliable at both ends defensively and good in the face-off circle uh, is, uh, is a guy they can count on. The Habs obviously want to play physical. How fine is the line between playing that tough playoff brand of hockey and staying disciplined? Well, I think they learned that in game number two. Uh, I, I do believe that the Montreal wants to be physical, but as Joel Edmondson mentioned yesterday, it's clear that uh, stick fouls are going to be called, so be physical, just uh, get the stick fouls out of there. But I also thought that... Uh, even though Wayne Simmons had one hit registered in game two, that uh, he was the type of guy that uh, I think the Leafs wanted to sign for situations like this. It's, he's, he's one of those nuclear deterrents that the Leafs maybe haven't had in, in recent years. And so when Josh Anderson lines up for the opening faceoff, the Leafs can counter with Wayne Simmons and be confident that uh, things might not get out of hand one way or the other. Yeah, it seemed like he really distracted Canadians from doing their job because of how aggressive he was. And obviously, I think the officials might have a keen eye when he is on the ice this time around, given all of the stick fouls that we saw while he was on the ice. Listen, um, there's been a lot made about the Leafs' power play and a shot from the point, and I heard you mention it on Saturday night. Is Rasmus Sandin unbelievably the answer to this power play right now? Well, we'll find out. It's it's an interesting question, and I, I really find that Sheldon Keefe's confidence in him is interesting. It's, it's not often that you have a 21-year-old with limited experience that you put into the fire of a, of a series like this and say he could be the difference, but he's looked poised for the most part. Obviously, he was... Uh, partly at fault on the shorthanded goal by Paul Byron, but mm -hmm. it didn't affect him at all. For some, that might have been it for the series, but he gets the chance in, in game number two, and he looked good. And uh, I was kind of taken by the the heaviness of the shot. 98.4 is uh, a little scarier than what we think the Leafs have had back there all year long. I know he's Swedish, and I know a lot of people aren't thinking about this, but there is a Sioux connection, uh, and anyone who played for the Sioux, Kyle Dubas has some confidence in, knows well, and Sheldon Keefe maybe a little bit too. Uh, is it possible that William Nylander has been among the best Leaf forwards? Oh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's definite. He has been terrific in the first two games. He has goals in the first two games. And, uh, uh, you know, if he could continue to be an offensive force without John Tavares might have been a question, but uh, he was as good as anybody on the ice in game number two. Uh, let's talk about the Habs a little bit more here. Carey Price obviously has been good, but they haven't been able to score goals. Is that why we're seeing Cole Caulfield in the lineup? I think it's one of the reasons for sure. Uh, you know, we, we, we looked at Carey Price's record uh, after giving up four-plus in the playoffs, and it's just six and five, but it's a 1.70 goals against average and a high save percentage, so it's traditional that, or at least recently, he has not got enough goal support. Cole Caulfield's a guy that might be able to get things turned around, but that's been an issue for the Canadians all year round. But this guy has scored at every level and four times in, in the last seven games of the regular season when he got his feet wet. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do today. And uh, I think the Canadian fans are anxious to see him on the power play to try and kickstart that because it's been 0-4 for about the last seven, eight games. Listen, it's obvious that the Habs lean a lot on Tyler Toffoli, Josh Anderson. Now you can throw Cole Caulfield 
field into that mix as they throw him right in on a second line. But I know having called games for a few years now, Mr. Cuthbert, you've seen a few playoff games, and oftentimes the cape will come from a third liner or a fourth liner. Is there someone that's been buzzing throughout this series that you feel might be able to knock down that door and give maybe an unexpected punch to either one of these teams? Well, Paul Byron was that answer in yep. game one. He yep. was actually the guy before the series started. He said, you know, these series often are won by the fifth and sixth defenseman or a guy uh, deep in the lineup, and, and he played that hero role. And, and, and maybe again, I'm not sure if he fits the category, but I'm, I'm looking a little at Thomas Tatar because he has been extremely quiet, was not supposed to play tonight, but Eric Stahl uh, was deemed uh, out after the morning skate, and Tatar, who believed he was not going to be playing, suddenly is in the lineup, and now there's an opportunity for him. And on the Leaf side, uh, maybe a guy like uh, Alex Galchenyuk, who had one shot in his first game back, playing against his old team with a, a, a chance on that second line could be a, a difference maker for Toronto. Uh, listen, uh, Mr. Cuthbert, I have called a few games, never on the level that you have called, uh, but usually I'm doing my calisthenics and my hmms <laughs> before games, and I don't have time to do these interviews, so I always appreciate you doing these on a game day. No, this is, this is my little workout beforehand, <laughs> so appreciate it. Uh, Thanks. Thanks. Have a great game. Cheers. Thanks, Tim. Uh, there is Chris Cuthbert, who you will hear on the call uh, with Simmer. Leafs Habs, game number three. I just I feel, and I know why there's no fans in the stands, so don't hit me up with that. But last night, I missed the fans in Winnipeg. And going to the Bell Center, and you know what would be 21,000 rocking and a bunch of Leaf fans, uh, you just miss that feeling. And hopefully, maybe if there's a game six, we get that feeling once again. Meanwhile, the Toronto Blue Jays were in action already today. A frustrating weekend against the Rays, losing... Three tight games heading into today's finale and their final home game in Dunedin before hitting the road and then continuing their home schedule in Buffalo. Here's how it looked earlier today. We begin at the top of the first two out bases loaded and Joey Wendell took Trent Thornton the other way. There were a few walks and an error. Grand slam made it 5-0 on zero earned runs. Five runs, none of them earned. Vladimir Guerrero and the bats got going, though. And the Jays claw back into this. He and Teoscar go back-to-back. Back. In the bottom of the eighth, now 5-3. Man on for Guerrero again. His second big fly of the game forces extras and ties him for the Major League lead. He's Jack. Jays are Jack. They were down two after the first half of the tenth. Marcus Simeon, though, does the exact same thing. Another two-run shot ties it at seven. Top of the 11th, though, the Rays explode. In fact, they put up seven on Joel Piams and Tim Meza. And they walk away with a 14-8 win in the finale of the four-game series. And because of it, they've now won 11 straight. All right, as I mentioned off the top of the show, this was one of the craziest weekends in recent memory. And in 2021, that, my friends, is saying something. Complete with a lot of scenes that we haven't witnessed in quite some time as the crowds returned in a big way south of the border. The NBA playoffs opened with a bang. With an OT buzzer beater, just plain old buzzer beaters everywhere. Poster dunks and upset wins. And those crowds, well... The Knicks' fateful were in fine form at Madison Square Garden, but they were silenced by New York's newest villain, Trey Young. Young on the floater, puts it in! Trey Young with a miraculous shot! Got real quiet in there. It got real quiet in there. It's still yelling now, I don't care. Next one. Uh, it's great to have the Knicks back into the feel of things. Mississauga's Dylan Brooks dropped 31 in the Grizzlies, went over first place Utah, and then reminded Charles Barkley where he's from. What? Are you wow, kidding me? What a move! This is an amazing performance from Dylan Brooks. Well, I'm from Canada. <laughs> I'm from Canada. I'm from up north. So give my dog his respect. Need it. <laughs> 
Uh, that's Jay-Z and Beanie Siegel, where I'm from. In the NHL, two series are done in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Avs sweep the Blues, and the Bruins needed just five games to dispose of Zidane Chara and the Caps. Three more could end tonight, while the Preds even their series with the Canes. Back-to-back double OT wins, much to the delight of Taylor Lewin and the Titans. Got shirtless, sun's out, guns out, didn't even need the sun out. And of course, there was Philly. And let me be blunt, everything about Phil Mickelson in South Carolina was near mind-blowing. His improbable win at the PGA Championship made him the oldest champion in the history of golf at a major and set off one of the wildest scenes we've witnessed. Look at this scene. Remember the sea of people at Bell Reeve? I do. This is every bit of that and more. That crowd, my God, it was like they've been saving up for a year because, well, they've been saving up for a year. Uh, Jesse Rubinoff, this has been an action-packed show. We haven't had the chance to go to you yet. (laughs) What was your reaction, though, to the weekend? Because as sports fans, like, I didn't have a second to breathe, and we're working today, and it was just as busy. I mean, first of all, I forgot how loud Madison Square Garden could be. Yeah. Because that was nuts. And it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm thinking about where it falls in context with, like, the Raptors crowd, because we're used to extremely loud playoff crowds. Yeah. And that felt very, it was very hostile at times towards Trey Young. But it was an awesome sight. You know, sure. it's funny. Oftentimes we, we, we stew in the misery of our teams as yeah. sports fans. But when you realize that it makes the good times that much better, I think there is there's some solace in that time and in all the pain that that New York fan base has gone through. Because yeah. they, I mean, eventually Trey Young silenced them. Yeah. However, you could see just how much they wanted playoff basketball. It's, yeah. And it's good for the NBA. When the Knicks are relevant. Very refreshing to see not only the Knicks fans, but also the Phoenix Suns fans. The Suns haven't been good for a really long time. Do either the Clippers or Lakers lose in the first round? Uh, I don't like how the Lakers look right now at all. I think the Suns are are playing some inspired basketball. And LeBron and AD don't look fully healthy. And, I mean, Paul George, if Paul George misses (laughs) a single shot, Pandemic P is going to be trending on Twitter instantly. Yeah. Instantly. So I feel bad for the guy. Some pressure in L.A., to say the least. Time for one last break. We will continue our countdown to Game 3 in Montreal, though. Game 4 in Winnipeg. Rob McLean and the Hockey Central crew are waiting in the wings. And we'll bring them to you next on Tim and Friends. Minutes away from Ron McLean and the Hockey Central crew ahead of the Leafs and Habs. Game number three from Montreal. William Nylander has scored in both games for the Leafs. And head coach Sheldon Keefe definitely likes what he's seeing from Nylander. He, he's played extremely well. He's been on the puck. He's been looking to make plays and uh, make a difference. Uh, obviously, he's, he's found ways to score in both games. Um I've liked a lot about his game. Uh, he's been, you know, he's been really engaged uh, on both sides of the puck, uh, and that's been that's been good to see. And, and uh, I think he's got a whole nother level to get to, like a lot of our players do. But uh, definitely, he's he's uh, you know he's um, he's made a mark in, in both games to me, and, and has uh, shown very well. So his confidence should be real high here right now, coming into to this game tonight. If I were typing that out, I would have put engaged in italics from Sheldon Keefe when it comes to William Nylander because when he's engaged, he's really good. Uh, Let's go to Jesse Rubinoff for last call here. Back again. On Tim and Friends. The Atlanta Falcons wide receiver Julio Jones requested a trade at the beginning of the offseason. That's not very good for Atlanta. And today on the Fox Sports 1 show, Undisputed. This was weird. Shannon Sharp called Jones live on the air to ask him about it. Weird. We call? Okay, we are calling. We're calling. calling. Hmm. You watching, Julio? I really hope he answers here. Julio, have the guts to pick up the phone. (laughs) 
What's happening? Yeah, all right. Julio. Hold on, hold on. Let me put you on I got you. This is your favorite uncle. What's going on, bro? Man, nothing much. Try to go meet up with my brother. What's happening with you? Man, look. You want to go to the Cowboys, Julio? Or you want to stay in Atlanta? Oh, man. Nah, I'm out of there, man. You He's out, out of there? He's out of there. Are you going to... Ideally, where would you like to go? Um, right now, I'm just... See, I want to win. Okay. Yeah. We don't go to Dallas. If you go to... You ain't winning in Dallas, Julio. Uh, yeah, I really, I, man, listen, come on, man. You already know I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you remind you more on television Ask right me now? why I wore the Dallas. Listen, sure. listen. You know how people is, man, with all that going right. on with the, the picture? Yeah. yeah. And all that stuff like that. Okay. Man, I ain't never been on that. You know what I'm saying? Okay. That's good enough. Yeah. Julio, I'll talk to you later. Thanks for calling me back. We on air, but I appreciate you calling me, dog. You know I know my nephew was gonna pick up. Oh yeah, nah, nah, yeah. I ain't, I ain't going, I ain't going to Dallas, man. I never thought about going to Dallas. Okay, I appreciate that, bro. Enjoy the rest of your day. Now he might not yeah. have any choice. <laughs> uh, that can't be legal, right? <laughs> unless, unless he's watching and he knows. The, no, he was. He was. He switched over to Bluetooth. He was in the car. Yeah. So either they had set that up before. Yeah. Or Sharp did Julio dirty. Yes. Like, really, really dirty. Yeah. They had to have set that up before. They, he had to be uh, okay with what that was going to be because I've never seen that before. Yeah. And it's just another... If it's if it was actually not staged and he didn't know, that either way, it's really good TV and I hate Very to give TV. credit. To yes <laughs> yes or no, uh, is Julio Jones a Falcon at the beginning of the year? I don't think so. I think it makes too much sense, but it's also when you do things like that, it diminishes your value and makes it harder to yes, trade you. Very much so. Uh, okay, moving on to golf. You talked about it earlier. After Phil Mickelson's historic win at the PGA Championship, the 50-year-old gave a lot of credit to his radical new diet. Mickelson said he fasts for 36 hours straight what? every week. Every week! Tim, how long can you go without food before you get grumpy? Uh, what was the start of the show? Uh, probably like about an hour and a half. Is that <laughs> is that intermittent fasting? That's not what intermittent fasting. I mean, is, that's right? aggressive intermittent fasting. I believe he does it to reset his immunity, his immune system, which I might have to 36, try. Maybe I'll be on the PGA tour soon. Thirty six hours. That's correct. And it's just drinking water, or did you get that far into the story? It's water. Uh, I believe he has maybe a little bit of coffee, but right. I believe it's just water and. That, yeah. I believe that, and this is uh, this is crazy Tim speaking, I believe in like 50 years, we'll understand way more about what food does to mm -hmm. us in every way, shape, mm -hmm. or form. And we're only just scratching the surface of what food actually does for us. Well, whatever he's doing, certainly working. Longest drive on 16 and obviously wins the tournament. Pretty amazing. At uh, 50. That's it, five insane. years older than yeah, me. It's insane. Best job of his life. At, at As I said yesterday, I grunt picking up my teeth. <laughs> Yes. This guy just won the PGA Championship. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, game five of the Battle of Florida goes tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern on FX. The Panthers are facing elimination down 3-1 in the series. And tonight, they'll turn to 20-year-old Spencer Knight in goal. He'll be the third goalie to start for Florida in the series. Uh, he'll have to deal with Nikita Kucherov and Mikhail Sergachev, who both look like they'll be playing for Tampa. So, Tim, do you like this move Why not? by the Panthers? Why not? Down 3-1. And I... I wondered if they were going to have the guts to go to three goalies in three games, and they didn't exactly do that. So now we are in this spot here, and why not give a shot down three games to one? I'm okay with it, although I think it's a really tough spot. I would have liked to, if you were going to give him the shot, give him a shot a little earlier so he has some leeway. But we've seen it before. I mean, Thatcher Demko came in and looked fantastic last year in, for Vancouver, so maybe there is the ability that they can just catch... Yeah. Lightning in a bottle? That's what they're trying for. A little bit of a Hail Mary, but we'll you see. Get, you got uh, it? Lightning in a bottle? Yeah. Very okay. nice. Yeah. I, I, should, I wanted you to stop on I mean, it just to yeah, give me a little bit of credit. That's bad. I should have picked up on that. Uh, during the Leafs have game two, J.J. Watt was tweeting that he wanted to see fellow Wisconsin alum Cole Caulfield in the lineup. Caulfield will play in game three, and Habs tweeted at Watt's quote, so where are you 
tuning in from tonight, J.J. Watt. Now, is J.J. really a hockey fan if he doesn't chug beers shirtless at a game a la seen, Taylor Lewin? Hold on. Have you ever seen J.J. Watt on the ice? I he's haven't. real yeah. deal. Yeah, he's good. Next show, in fact, you know what? Maybe Hockey Night in Canada, Brian Spear and Ryan McClain mm-hmm. can get you video of J.J. Watt okay, on bring the it. ice. Yeah. He's real deal. And that does it for us. I am now programming Hockey Central with Ron <laughs> McLean and the greatest in the business. But J.J. Watt can play. It's Leafs Nation pregame show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. And on TV, Ron, take it away.